Before we start today's episode, I want to mention our sponsor, Swoosh English, the best way to pass your OET or IELTS exams. For 10% off any course, go to swooshenglish.com forward slash our voices discount or click the link in the episode description. I'm Alex Melia, and this is Our Voices in the NHS, a stage for real people to tell the real stories we never get to hear. In this series, we hear personal stories from NHS medical professionals. If you found meaning in these episodes, please share them with a friend so they can enjoy them as well. Let's delve into today's episode. The most common expression is something to the effect of, I just want to be with people I love. This is David. He's an NHS psychotherapist, specializing in end-of-life care. He lives in London with his wife and daughter. The kinds of patients I work with are cancer patients who have advanced cancers that they may have some treatment options, but the treatment is not curative. It's just to extend their life and make their life more comfortable. David encounters death almost every day, so he prefers to use direct language when talking about it. You don't need to use innuendos around death. It's okay to say when they died. I think part of the problem that a lot of people encounter around death and dying is they believe that it's a taboo that they need to perpetuate and that they need to protect their loved ones from. When in fact, a lot of the work that they end up doing is just helping people have an open conversation around death and dying. So saying things like pass away can sort of feed into that softening or attempted softening of the the finitude of death. I curiously asked if, when working with patients in the last hours or days of their life, do they feel the need to confess to any regrets or share any reflections they may have had? I can become something akin to a secular priest where somebody, if you like, confesses things that they've been holding on to they want to sort of unburden themselves from carrying that secret or that lie or that regret um, before they die. And the main regret people have in that confrontation, that realization is I was deferring my life. The most poignant and I suppose something like reassuring people that I've worked with as they die are the people that say I'm okay with this. Like I, I lived knowing that I was mortal. And and if, if you'll forgive the philosophical reference, there's a concept that Friedrich Nietzsche suggested about um, the curse of the eternal return. And he posits, what if a demon just appeared in front of you right now and said, it's your time. It's the end of your life. But not only is it the end of your life, from this moment on, you will relive your life for eternity up until this point again and again and again. And Nietzsche suggests that essentially if you've struck a good balance in your life and you haven't only lived for tomorrow, but sometimes you've lived for now, then that's not a curse because you were actually engaged in life and you were um, celebrating it at times. Whereas if you were living for tomorrow that never came, then that's the worst torture you can get. You know, you were almost there, but you never got there and you had to live that on repeat. It's that sort of general message of as much as is sensible and sometimes as much as is silly, live now because you've only got one life. 
Over the years, David has helped many terminally ill patients prepare for death, more often than not in tragic and unfortunate circumstances. But there are times when somebody gets a diagnosis of something and then they get a diagnosis of something else or they they get cancer, then it's treated and cured, um, but then it comes back. And that was the case with this woman. David wanted to tell me about a particular patient of his that left a lasting impression on him. She'd previously had cancer over a decade before and beat it. Unfortunately, this time, a different type of cancer had developed. She was referred to us because she just couldn't accept that she'd had cancer again. She was diagnosed just before the pandemic hit. Due to the restrictions, all of David's work was relocated online. A very direct consequence of the COVID pandemic is the removal of being in the shared physical space with our clients and patients. This did, however, have some positives. Many of the people we're seeing, we're able to have telephone or sometimes video conversations with them right up until their last days of life when they're very frail and there's no way they could come in and there's not really a way that they'd even much be able to sustain being in the same room with someone. And being on the phone, you are very intimately in that person's ear. They are quite literally entering your head. So it lends itself to a quality of intimacy that in a way escapes uh, being in the same physical room as someone. David's patient remained hopeful that she would one day recover. So she avoided one important conversation. Her husband knew that she was very ill and that she very likely didn't have long to live. Her children did not. And that was making everybody who cared about her, her husband especially, very, very anxious because as much as people want to hope that they're not going to die, if people aren't prepared for somebody suddenly dying, particularly children, you know, where, where's mummy gone one day? Or why is mummy not getting out of bed today? If someone isn't explicitly clear about what those reasons are, particularly for children, their imaginations can run wild. You know, is it something I did? Is mummy upset with me? Is there something I should be doing to make mummy better? So there was a huge amount of anxiety around the fact that, that my patient wasn't telling her children that she was dying because she couldn't confront that fact herself. She wasn't ready to die at all. This patient was a young woman with her whole life ahead of her. Understandably, she was incapable of accepting that she would never see her children graduate from school, grow older, find love, have children of their own, or get a job. Imagine being in that situation for a second. All the milestones of their lives she thought she would witness were taken away from her by the recurrence of cancer. She was referred to David to help her come to terms with this. However, there was a difficult balance to strike during their therapy sessions. And that's a very delicate thing. It's a very rare thing in the therapy world as well. I think the common conception about therapy is that we're there to listen and be quite passive in the relationship. But working as an end-of-life therapist, we sometimes literally don't have the time. Trying to start a conversation where I don't have an agenda because it's not my place to tell her to confront her death. It's not my place or anybody's place to tell her to tell her children that she's dying or to help her husband 
uh, anticipate her death and prepare for being bereaved. That's, not, that's nobody's place. David had a number of sessions with her over the following months where they talked about everything, aside from one thing, death. There are times with other patients in my career that I've pushed faster and pushed harder that, you know, but you're dying. What, what about your death? What are you going to say to your children? What's it going to be like for your children after you've gone? What's it going to be like for your husband after you've gone? And we couldn't have that conversation. I didn't feel like she was ready for it. I felt like if I'd have asked it, she would have stopped coming to therapy altogether. It would have been too much for her. And she was already feeling overwhelmed. So the last thing she wanted to be told was what she needed to do around her children, what she needed to do for her husband or for anybody else. Instead, David created a safe space for his patient to feel comfortable, a space where they could relate to one another as two people, as human beings with an obvious connection, rather than just patient and doctor. He explains to me that he's not a specialist in death. He says no one can be, as it's something no one alive has experienced. I'm a specialist in not knowing. So we spent sessions together not knowing, not knowing if from one session to the next, if I'd even be able to speak to her again, because some people can just deteriorate very quickly and then you don't get to hear from them again. And then the next thing you know, they've died. And then I got a very anxious call from her husband and left a message with our team saying, please call. I don't think she's got very long. David was able to get her on the phone. She was very frail and she said, I don't know how long I can have the energy to speak. I remember specifically, she said, maybe got about seven minutes. Now, David thought, was the last opportunity to acknowledge her death. We'd never spoken about it and I said to her, okay, you're dying. Now what? And she said, I don't know. Maybe I'm not dying. Maybe I'll recover. And I said to her, no, this is it now. So what do you want for you? Do you want to speak to your children? Do you want to speak to your husband or not? And she thought about it. And that was a deafening silence. And then she said, okay, I'm ready. And we agreed that I would call back in half an hour. So she put the phone down. And she spoke to her husband and her children, as far as I'm aware. 30 minutes went by. As agreed, David called her back. She says to me, thank you. I just needed somebody to give me a nudge. But I'm glad I did that. And we all had a good cry. And it was okay. And I said goodbye. And I'm really tired now, so I'm going to go, but that's meant a lot to me. I am getting emotional just thinking about it, but that was some of the most beautiful work 
I ever did, and this is where my job does not feel like work. And I found out through one of the medical team that she died um, the day after. And what was lovely for me as well, what was reassuring for me, because like I said, sometimes I don't hear, is that the husband had spoken to the medics in the hours after that conversation and confirmed they had had that conversation that he was desperate to have with her and that he was desperate for the children to have with her. And they were able to say goodbye. And I'm convinced that meant that the grief that they're now very rawly experiencing will be just much cleaner for it because they were able to at least say goodbye and acknowledge it together. So yeah, that's uh, some of the most poignant work that I've ever done. Something that I'm very proud of, something that could only have happened in the way that it did because of the COVID pandemic and is why I am doing my dream job and don't want to do anything else. I asked David if he felt that this experience with his patient had changed his outlook on life in any way. It's like the same as it ever was with just every now and again, there's that sort of glint of brightness, almost like the sort of, you know, those like perfect sunsets every once in a while that come along. And um, she reminds me of that. And she helps me appreciate the life that I've got. And she affirms that I'm living my life the way that I want to live it, which is about as precious a gift as anyone can give. It's clear that David had had a very real human connection with this woman and a lasting friendship had emerged. The unintended benefits of him sharing real human moments with a patient whilst doing his job where they could be themselves in their one-to-one phone calls each session that they had together. I hope you were as greatly impacted by this interview as I was conducting it. It allowed me to think about loved ones in my life that had passed away. I hope it did that for you too. I remember very vividly closing down the conversation with David, taking off my headphones, letting out a long, deep breath and thinking, wow, That was incredibly meaningful. An intimate conversation with someone who greatly cares about the work he does and the people who he looks after. A deep sense of compassion for the woman's family came over me. Her husband and her young children she had left behind. I also remember thinking about a great book I had read a few years ago called Tuesdays with Maury by Mitch Albom, which had the same kind of feel. I highly recommend you read it if you're impacted in any way by the conversation with David. How were you impacted by today's story? Let us know on the Our Voices in the NHS Twitter or Facebook pages or message us on the www.ourvoicesinthenhspodcast.com website. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you want to keep in touch with the show, and be the first to find out what's coming up next, go to our website, www.ourvoicespodcast.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. The links are in the show notes. 
And if you haven't already, give us a quick follow in your favorite podcast app. See you for another incredible story next week. I want to acknowledge our sponsor, Swoosh English, for making these podcasts possible. It's the best place to get training and support to pass your OET, IELTS, and PT exams. If you want to hear from doctors or nurses who've passed their exam with the help of Swoosh English, go and listen to episodes from Rima, Midun, Cynthia, Tara, and Hussein. For 10% off any course, visit swooshenglish.com forward slash Our Voices discount.